one last big tour. Do you know who you're bringing with you? Are you bringing like your favorite people with you? It's just me and the opener. <laughs> Am I supposed to bring people? Uh, I do. I know you do. I, I, I know that. you're desperate for affection. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, the Tops Off World Tour is coming to an end in 2024, and then, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, I will be taking a long break from touring, but not before Bakersfield, Reno, San Francisco, Stockton. I will see you guys on the road. Tops Off World Tour. Enjoy the podcast. I'm obsessed with unrealized art. Like, uh, the amount of stuff that comes out of people, and then when people pass, everyone's like, like, you know, Sean McCowan just died from the Pogues? Uh-huh. And, uh... And it wasn't until he passed that I started getting really into the pogues again. And then all of a sudden I'm like, God damn it. Why does that happen that way? Especially like when you're like, when my dad passes, I'm sure I'll go through and be like, find all the cool shit and be like, why wasn't it cool when he was, you know, but, uh, you good Pete? That unrealized art. You mean like the, or, or because there's actually a, I don't know if this is what you mean, but in, in, uh, in Baltimore, one of the great museums is a museum there that is all uh, people that were just people. You know, they weren't artists. They were, but yeah. they were making art, and they, no one ever paid attention to them. And they put all this stuff in there. It's art. Is you know, I didn't. I never understood art. I, I still don't understand art. But I really realized how much I didn't understand it when NFTs came out. And I really don't fucking get them. <laughs> Bullshit. Fuck them. Kiss my dick. Stop it. It's like that fucking Bitcoin shit. It's fuck you. You can't make shit up. That's why. <laughs> it really does. It, it. I remember them explaining NFTs to me. There's this company and they're like, we can make you millions of dollars. People are going to own you saying I'm the machine. And I'm like, wait, how does that work? Yeah, really? How does it work? And why does it work? Uh, yeah. And then the guy's like, well, it's like art. You know, how does people know that Basquiat was a great artist? It's because someone paid for it. He's like, so as soon as someone pays for it, it becomes great art. I was like, that doesn't track to me. No. No. No, and there's been a lot of dog shit art they paid for. Yeah. You know. And and what's crazy is uh, I, I'm obsessed. I just listened to this podcast about this. Uh, he was a Dutch art collector who turned to the Nazis and then basically used it to his benefit to collect all the art in all throughout like Holland and all the all that and collected it all and then just created a amassed a fortune. And then they were like, and I, I just kept going like, but how does like who so who are you preying on in that? Are you preying off the rich in that? Like cause only rich people buy art, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's really <laughs> like art art is at its best when the masses appreciate it and they pay for it. So when art's cheap and everyone buys it, that's when it's good art. But then at a threshold, becomes too cheap, and people are like, ah, it's not worth it anymore. Yeah. But then, but it always starts cheap. Yeah. So there are these people who actually kind of go around. I mean, I've, uh, and, and anything that I've, uh, there was something I saw, I forget what it was in, uh, way back when I was in France, there was this, and I tracked this artist and everything, and then I, Went back to the gallery and the and the guy kind of like disappeared. You yeah, know? you don't. And it was <laughs> good artists was, has good artists have those personalities. Yes, they do. <laughs> well, I mean, if you ever really, 
you know, if you look at the art of, like Van Gogh was completely fucked. Yeah. Just fucked. They never bought it. They didn't buy his shit. They yeah. thought he was, a, you know, and, uh, and there's, and if you were ever, I was, I was in uh, Holland and if you were ever profoundly depressed, there's the Van Gogh Museum. I've been to the Van Gogh Museum. Yeah. And uh, I was there, they had an exhibition of, of, he, like his art and then Theo's letters, you know, his brothers sent him these letters yeah. to kind of, you know, keep going. You know, it'd be like, you're going to make it. You know, as many of us comics have those people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> no, really, that's going to be a great seven minutes. And, uh, <laughs> but, and it's the most profoundly, by the end of it, I've have never felt better. It was like having lithium or something. <laughs> it was so, it, his his him and his brother it was so depressing yeah what they went through you know what his brother had to go through you know and then it was suicide at the end it was like he killed you know he's dead yeah so it's fuck it's does 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 not to get too depressing yeah let's do it let's but, let's let, i want them to turn this thing on and within three minutes they go what the fuck was bert thinking <laughs> He brought, did, <laughs> did you think? Did you think? Because you're you're you toured with one of the one of the best comedians of our generation, Mitch Hedberg. Yeah, and I and I say this, I I found Mitch brilliant alive, and I think I'm dealing with this now with like uh, drinking less, trying to be healthier, trying to lose weight. But there was a part of me that was I'm always been attached to the tragic artist, to the tragic artist who uh, who passes early, Greg Giraldo. Patrice O'Neill, they, they're such legends. And I, did you, how, what, what's your perception of he, his status got cemented so much higher once he passed or because he had a heroin addiction, everyone, he became that much more precious. Well, you got to realize, he said, you know, the quote was, you know, I want to, he was the kind of, I want to, you know, die young kind of. Yeah thing which is well you know that's really not an aspiration <laughs> and you know i didn't know this when i was working with i did know um you know the the tra i think part of the tragedy was just the, the you know imagine this they called david telling me in mitch up now you got to realize this is like the first major tour. this is this is for anyone listening who's a comedy fan this is the sapling that created where we're at today, yeah. without a doubt. I mean, this is the, it was the biggest thing in comedy. It was the hottest tour. It was the first really theater tour with three headliners who were established names. And, and it was three legends. I mean, legends. And it was run, Comedy Central put it together, correct? Yeah. Comedy Central, I was, I'm, I'm dying to know the fucking back end numbers on this goddamn tour. But yeah, yeah but, uh, but well, going. we got fucked. I can assure you. I'm, I'm, I, it, that's all I've been saying today. I was like, I was like, knowing what they could make today if they toured, yeah, right. Versus what the way theaters worked back then. Yeah, no, it was it, but it was phenomenal to do what we were doing, and but, but it was, uh, you know, Mitch. Uh, they so they called Dave and I up, and 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 uh, and 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 what was interesting is at the time Dave and I were working, we were kind of the faces of Comedy Central and. We were knew each other pretty well. And we were doing stuff together as kind of interstitial stuff. Yeah, and uh, but, you know, on the uh, on Fridays when they didn't know what else, you know, let's put together thirty five clips. 
Yeah. And uh, so, it, so they called us and said, I knew that Mitch had just come, Dave and I knew Mitch just had come out of the hospital and had had, you know, the problem with, uh, you know, the, the addiction and had, it, uh, it, and it was, you know, kind of had a, had to be dealt with and then went to, was in rehab for a bit, I Was think. this when his leg got hurt? Yeah. Okay. Be, that's the kind way to put it. I didn't want to say, yeah, but no. I, yeah, but yeah, I mean, so that was what was going on. And, uh, and they tell Dave and I, you know, you're going to tour with Mitch Hedberg and both David and I said, do you realize we're the last two people who should be, we, 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 he doesn't need to be around us. We do these things and, you know, but we're not sh shooting up, but we're, you know, we're pretty much game for everything. I mean, you know, uh, I'll have, we'll have like 19 vodkas. Yeah. I mean, there was stuff that happened in terms of uh, drink. I mean, in terms of us just being blotto, we, which, and we saw that coming, yeah. David and I, David, I yeah. saw it out there and we're going, we can't, you can't have us be in charge of him. That's first off, that's crazy. You, you fucking idiots. Second off, why are you doing this? Uh, why are you sending him out? Yeah. You don't, you don't do this. And and it was and it was that classic bullshit of of if you if we send him out, um, you know, this would be really good for him. But no. <laughs> How do I know that that's not gonna work? It never has turned out good. Like no. it's it takes a different you cannot fix it on the road. You cannot fix it on the road. I learned that. The hard way. When we were doing fully loaded, I was 275 pounds. We would wake up party, and I had every enabling best friend with me. And I and I had every no one's gonna say no because they need to make sure the show goes on. They're just trying to say yes in the softest way. And you need I took so I had to take seven weeks off to kind of get my life together, but you have to take time off. Well, it was amazing because I didn't really know you. You know, I knew you, but I did not know you. You know, and I, and I just thought. Uh, and, and the stuff that was, you know, that I saw, you know, it was like, and my, my brain was, cause I always am like, uh, he can't be doing all this. This Cause everybody's saying, well, you know, tomorrow, I said, and I'm, my brain is, I'm not responding to that. I'm not even asking the group about it. I'm just going, he can't possibly be doing that. You know, <laughs> last night, Stanhope said to me, Stanhope was with me and he goes, he goes, you know, I watched them say this about me, but I have to ask it. How the fuck are you doing this? He was like, it's, are you, aren't you burnt out? And I was like, yeah, I'm burnt out. You're like, that's part of the thing. But I, I have put some parameters on my lifestyle a tad bit because I'm, I'm in love. I'm in love with the, the tragic hero. I'm in love with that. I don't know. I, you know, it's, it's like one of the coolest things I ever heard about. I think I was talking to maybe Kathleen. She was talking about you and her having whiskeys after a show. Yeah. I'm like, God damn it. That's the, like, that's don't lose it. Like I, I love it, it. It, you know, the playwright smoking a cigarette and having a whiskey, writing a play in a fucking bar at nine o'clock at night or at seven o'clock at night in, in hell's kitchen is like sexy to me. It's always been. And it's why I'm such a fan of, of guys like Hedberg and, you know, and, and Patrice and all them. And then they die and you go, fuck, I wish they were here. Yeah. It's really, uh, uh, just as a friend, 
Yeah. Uh, it's, it's nice to be enamored with the tragic hero. You just can't get wrapped up in their shit. Yeah. I mean, because it is, you know, I get it. But it's also, you know, when the, it, 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 it's also tough. And, you, it, and I, I don't know if you experienced this. They call me and tell me that Mitch has passed. He's, he's, he, you know, he dies. And I go, and my brain immediately goes, I'm not shocked. Yeah. Um, Greg dies. I'm not shocked Mm-mm. at all. And that, that kind of takes the tragedy out of the tragic hero. Because yeah. it, I, I always feel like the tragic hero is someone who kind of just, you know, accidentally steps in shit while they're yeah. kind of wandering toward the shit. Not the... Not the full bore. I mean, because I, you know, and, and it, with Greg, it was really, I had, first off, you got to realize I had, I'd worked with him. I had no clue until, really? well, none, because every time I sent him, I got all of the, if I couldn't do a gig, I sent Greg. I yeah. would say, if I can't do a gig, get Greg, get Greg Geraldo. He's great. And, uh, and Greg did like five gigs that I couldn't take and uh, never no problems, no nothing. So I don't, you know, we did um, Root of All Evil, there on time, not, no problems, nothing, Zippo. The only time I even noticed and didn't know what was going on was I knew something was up the last day, but I did not know how bad the problem was when he's, uh, he's um, he, me and uh, John Bowman, who uh, was uh, is a very funny comic who uh, I worked with for a long time. He, he'd been a writer on the show. And Greg sat down. We were sitting after the show's done. We're finished. The season is done. We, we, we arrived back at the hotel we're all staying at. Greg joins us. And, um, and he had been, uh, you know, dry. And uh, that we, I mean, it seemed, and, and uh, it certainly had been dry. And then we, we're drinking, you know, uh, margaritas. And uh, he sits down and has a margarita. And then my brain starts to click. I knew a bit, a little bit, but not like, okay. Um, so then he has another one. And then uh, a guy, come, one of the guys comes over. You know, it's the, the guy like the Mitch had the guys come over. Yeah. You know, the guys that in each town that they hooked up with. So the, this, the L.A. guy, and he and it, uh, it whispers. And then the next thing you know, Greg, Greg said, well, I got to go. And then it turns out he was gone, gone. Three days gone, disappeared. Yeah, and that's something. See, there's nothing. There's there's no tragic hero to that. That's just yeah. that's just dumb. We're in a profession, but I think it's just hard to be a tragic hero when. And this was a great discovery for me when I first. I mean, because I didn't really start doing it. I was forty. I was going. What could be the problem? I could start drinking right after the show at ten. I could drink till six. Or, or pot. I do whatever the fuck, I'm, you know, yeah. whatever, and be done at six in the morning and have 12 hours <laughs> to rack time before I have to fucking, you know? Yeah. And then I and get up at six and then I don't have to be on stage till nine. Are you, are you, yeah. How tough is this fucking job? <laughs> you you got to really kind of want to be, have a problem. Yeah. In a job that gives, is, it, it's an enabler gig. I mean, that's partly what you've been through. I've been through it. You know, your friends kind of go, you know, let's, but you know, you're all wound up afterwards. And you don't ever want that. You don't, you don't want to change in front of them. So when they're like, hey, we're going to eat mushrooms and go tubing. You're like, all right. <laughs> yeah. And they don't want you to change. It's like, it's weird. It's like, 
Well, you know, my, one of my best friends is Rogan, and he he's always like, you got to get in shape. You got to lose weight. You got to quit drinking. But even still, when I see him, he'll be like, let's get a drink. Cause, but, because he's like, you look good. You look like you got it together. Let's get back after it. <laughs> yeah. and, and you're always like, okay. <laughs> yeah, but really? Yeah. Because you're celebrating getting over it. Yeah. There's, there's this, I was with stand-up last night. I'm like, do I drink tonight? Do I party? And then it just turned out that our hours didn't match up, meaning like, he opened the show. Stanhope was fucking. He opened the show as the mayor of Worcester. Did not tell them, and then went on this rant about <laughs> killing a child at a DUI and how he's got overcome that thanks to sober October. And I mean, it was fucking so funny. But then I had to go on stage, and when I got off, it was already the end of the night, and I hadn't drank, so I was on stage, and so I didn't drink last night. But it's those times where you see you were in Worcester last. I was in Worcester last yeah. night. Yeah, and he opened. Wow. He walked in. He said, "Don't tell him it's Doug Stanhope. Say I'm the mayor, Joe Perry." And I'm going to just open and give you the keys to the city. And he was like, guys, today, officially, December 7th, is National Burt Kreischer Day. He's like, Pearl Harbor's had its run for too long. <laughs> <laughs> we need to get over that horrible stain. He was, he was fucking epic. But he quit drinking for like four months. Did he? he? Yeah, he quit drinking Good. for a big stretch because he was like, you know, I think, I think all of us run into it where you're like, I got to make sure that I can for me it's like i want to make sure i can keep drinking yeah. so like if I, if I if i take these breaks then i can enjoy my life when you you didn't how old were you when you started the daily show you shouldn't have to worry when you're buying tickets to your next big event game time is the fastest and easiest way to buy tickets for all the sports music comedy and theater events near you with killer deals on last minute tickets and their best prices guaranteed, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped up for all the fun you'll have. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Buy tickets in a matter of seconds. Two taps and you're set. I, I say that I say that you hear that and you don't realize that's how quick it takes. Isla and I got tickets for Metallica, two taps, and we thought we did it wrong. It happened so fast. We had to have Leanne check our work. I will tell you right now, my boy Joe Coy, is at the forum February 16th. Plan yourself an event. Get a group text with all your friends. First of all, take all the guesswork out of buying the tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use code BERTCAST for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code B E R T C A S T for $20 off and go see Joe Coy at the forum. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest prices guaranteed. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list them and how much you're paying for them? If you asked me that question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said, oh, yeah, of course. But let me tell you something. I would have been so wrong. <laughs> I cannot believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting specifically on fitness apps. I have downloaded every fitness app there is and paid the $24 for the year it's ridiculous. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels all your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I can see all my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped it save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash BurtCast. That's rocketmoney.com slash BurtCast. Rocketmoney.com slash BurtCast. 
What, how old were you when you started The Daily Show? 97, 96. It was 90, uh, I, I, it had to be after 97 because I remember seeing you live with Craig Kilborn. Yeah, so Dimitri like, Martin was the PA. Yeah. He was he was working and he got me in the front row and I made a huge faux pas. I don't know your relationship with Craig Kilborn, but I did not realize who he was. I didn't realize like he was combing his hair in front of a mirror and I thought that was a bit and I couldn't stop fucking laughing. Yeah, well rightfully so. And cuz that was when he was funny, was when he wasn't funny. <laughs> Wait, exactly. Yeah. He was so funny not being funny and he kept looking at me like what are you laughing at and I thought it was the bit and then you went on and fucking destroyed and this is like I don't think there's going to be a frame of reference of respect for just how uncaged you were allowed to be on that show at a time when everything else seemed caged you felt it felt to me like no one read your script. Like you, they said, you got five minutes, whatever you want to do, and you would just go balls to the wall. And I, I would argue, make that you made that show fucking hilarious. Craig Kilburn was awesome. He was awesome. John Stewart came in. I think it gave it such a brand new perspective. Yeah, he did. It. It was. What was the. What was the difference between the transition between John and Craig in your opinion? Well, Craig was just you wrote for Craig. Yeah. So the idea was, we get a you know we the whole idea in part was is you get the good looking guy to sit at the desk. So they got Kilborn who was kind of like uh, was doing the sports stuff ESPN. on ESPN, and they brought him over, and and uh, <laughs> he he didn't know where the jokes were. <laughs> didn't know, bro. didn't know, didn't know. And you kind of go, and at first you, you know, and it's fine, okay, you know, and uh, and it was always kind of astonishing to watch because they were really well written. I mean, it was it was a br brilliantly written show, brilliantly written show. So he, in a sense, you know, it's like a score, you know. So he's kind of tone deaf, so he's he's hitting it just to touch off, but he's he's still getting the laugh, and uh, uh, and and he was. Uh, you know, and he was, you know, full of himself, which he really was full of himself. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, and then, and then I don't know why he, uh, what he was doing leaving the show. But uh, that was beyond me. What are you kidding me? You're on a show that's starting to break through. And then John really did. And John, you know, part of us is John had had his own show. And so it learned a ton from that. And then uh, it had a lot of power in this show. And uh, and it would have been interesting. I don't know what it would happen. I mean, they it was really awful. They let, uh, they kept, well, initially they kept Kilborn and let Liz Winstead, who created the show, yeah. they let her go. I mean, it was like, are you guys kidding? Yeah. The, the creator gets thrown out. And this, he's there by the, just by the grace of God. And then... Um, so when it, when uh, John shows up, he becomes, over the course of the year, he really starts, to, you know, what made the show great was he micromanaged. And I'm John sure, he, yeah. And I'm sure he might disagree with me, but he, you know, but I'd, I'd argue <laughs> about with him. And he did, and it's what made it really a, a good show. But, it, you know, it was, uh, it became tougher for me to write, yeah. you know. Uh, it, 
partly because they just they the the producers he brought in were pricks in terms yeah. of my stuff. So uh, you were, but, it was, but it was such. A, I mean, it was like, I mean, you're the longest running Daily Show correspondent. Yeah, you've been with absolutely everyone. But what was brilliant about it is it really gave you the platform to be you on stage. Yep. Your specials at that time, at that time, and I, and I, there's only been a couple people who I, I would, and I, I have to give them their flowers that were able to catch lightning in a bottle like you do and then take it to stage. And Andrew Schultz is one of them. He's so talented. He did the turn your phone sideways. And those were, those rants he did were so lewis-esque yeah in a way and then he catapulted it stopped doing it catapulted it and brought it to the stage and you did that and it was your specials were like popcorn ready like it was like when your specials would come on you'd be like hold on but he got it ready I'm, i need a notebook i need a cup of coffee i'm gonna get a bottle of whiskey some popcorn i mean just fucking epic thank you and your work ethic was insane like your work ethic was like just fucking you, it's like you really loved stand up and it wasn't your initial thing you really wanted to be a playwright yeah i fucking love that what's yeah. your favorite play my favorite play of of all plays like i i came to plays late in life when i saw when i saw uh what's the david mamet one where uh, they're in hollywood uh well either kevin spacey was uh, oh in it christ fuck it's not it's where they're like... That's they're, always a good expression, Christ fuck. Um, <laughs> I, 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 uh, I, I know, ex and I can't think of the name of it. It's, uh, but they're, but like, was, they're talking like, come on, baby, or where they're like, they're yeah, like they got I little know, short there's three, It's a three-hander, actually, is yeah. a play, and it's and I initially... They made it into a movie. Uh, yeah, and I initially thought it's sexual perversity in Chicago, duck variations. I'm going through all of his plays, yeah. and I, I can't remember. Who were your favorite play? Well, what was your one of the first plays you saw where you're like, oh, that's my shit? I went, I saw, uh, or the earliest was in a play that wasn't that great, but we went, went to Broadway and I went, uh, my father started taking me to plays Really, when I was a kid, you know, he said, you want to go? And I went, and then once I went, I was like hooked. So it didn't, anything up there to me was like, I can't believe these people are up there doing this and that everybody in the room, because what makes it different from stand up in a sense is we're, we're like that. We're like conductors, where it's a train. It's is Carlin so put it so well. You know, we're we're the we're the guys. Can, we're driving the bus. Yeah. Okay. But a play is is they're in there. That that group of people is creating a reality with the group of people watching. They you go. It's like a drug. It's so it's so underappreciated these days because I've been to plays since, and I don't think. I don't think any playwright ever thought they'd connect with my sensibility. But, man, I get taken away. My mouth is wide open, and I'm just sitting. I mean, I, 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 I'm I, pretty hacky in what we've seen because I have daughters. So, like, you know, Wicked, Book of Mormon, Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice fucked me up. I ate edibles <laughs> before it. And have you seen Beetlejuice? No. Uh, he starts off by going, I just want to give everyone a heads up. It's Beetlejuice. You're all going to die. And no one will remember you. And I'm like, huh? This is the thing I take edibles to forget about. And I had a panic attack and my daughters start crying, laughing because they know me. And I ate a whole bag of Skittles. I was like, oh. But those first plays I ever saw 
in life <clears throat> in New York, I just was so overwhelmed by so much of it, the nuance of how other characters were doing other things. And I was always amazed that anyone could remember that much shit yeah. and not fuck up. Yeah, it's pretty extraordinary. And when you see an actress or an actor who can really fill a room, like uh, it was the the Kristen Chenoweth. Chenoweth, yeah. Chenoweth. I yeah. mean, what the fuck? Yeah. What the fuck? Like, no one does that. No, like, Dina Menzel. Like, you're just like, holy shit. Yeah, it's kind of astonishing when they, really when is. they, when they hit it. And that they're doing it. They're doing something as, as hard as we work. It's nothing compared to what they, they're eight shows and it's two, sometimes twice in a day. And it's, you know, you're there for five hours with a whole bunch of other people. And, and it, it is, and I like to call theater is kind of an outpa outpatient clinic. Yeah. So there's, you're basically these people, if it weren't for theater, they'd be in a hospital somewhere. So instead <laughs> we... We as a group are taking care of them because yeah. they're really good at doing this one thing and they can do it well and they can play that character well. Um, so it's, uh, uh, you know, so it's rough in that. It, it, but when, but I, I you know, it's, it's, when it comes to the plays that, that hooked me were, uh, I got just hooked on it and then I became fascinated with it. And then and it was like, I mean, you can't beat, uh, a death of a salesman. It's unbelievable. It's a fucking unbelievable. It's and so and when then somebody some... writes the musical, I'll be forced to kill them because <laughs> it's it will come eventually. They do oh, that yeah. with everything. But death of a sale, you know, the death of a salesman, uh, streetcar named desire. You know, you kind of go through these things, and then I've seen them with, like, uh, uh, with also you know with a variety of actors doing it, and each time it's different because of the actors doing it. It's. Yeah. It's really kind of a remarkable, and I was hooked on it from the very beginning. My father had, my father was seeing, he was going to shows with my mother. He was going to shows with me. He was probably seeing 20 plays a year. He was like. Wait, what were your parents like? The, my, uh, my mother was uh, really uh, unbelievably, her sarcastic was, her sarcasm was withering. Really? Oh, wither. I mean, like, <laughs> you kids will never amount to anything. <laughs> you know, she told my one of my best friends, I don't know what you're doing with your life, but the way things are going, you're never going to amount to anything. And are they? Were they born in New York? They were born in New York, but then moved. This will tell you how angry they were. They moved to uh, Maryland because they didn't want to deal. Because you know, they, it's Jewish New York family, ton of relatives. They all arrived there. They all. Kind of, and my but my parents that just said, "We're out of here. We are not dealing with this bullshit," and they moved out. Really, and they moved to Maryland, and uh, first to D.C. and then to Maryland. And my mother, uh, I mean, the way in which I get, you know, the best way to describe my mother's uh, stuff. She also is. Uh, she also kept saying, "If you think." Because this is like that we're in the late 60s and we're yelling and screaming about stuff. And my mother goes, if you think you're going to change anything, you're out of your fucking minds. Okay? Here's what's going to happen. It's going to be the same. Yeah. No matter what you do. <laughs> you know? So get over it. Get over yourselves. Yeah. It was like, oh, my God. And uh, but Did the they, Were they born in the States? No. But yes, they were. They okay. Were, but the, they were I'm first generation. The your, your dad probably was... Uh, what like twenty during World War Two? He was older, a little older than that, and uh, he was uh, 
had come out of college and he 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 was a mechanical engineer so he went into uh he went into the navy department designing stuff yeah so he was designing things at that point in time and yeah. working as a mechanical engineer so he did not have to go over my well, you know the so. older i get I'm the more fascinated i am with history yeah. like i i'm 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 literally turning into an old man. I, I watched a documentary on the Gulag last night. Like I just get high and sit in my bunk and sit in my bed and just watch documentaries on shit no one gives a fuck about. That like and 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 don't come up good in conversation. I watched a 17 part documentary on Hitler. Can't oh, bring yeah. that up in casually. Oh yeah, she can't. You know, his you know, dad was a beekeeper, right? Yeah. <laughs> but you could call. I can tell you this. You could, we could call Kathleen Madigan now. Yeah. And. Uh, you could say that you saw this this documentary, and the really? first thing she'll go, oh, "Where'd you find it?" Because she's like, she's seen everything. Yeah. If there's a new one, and every so often when I see something on Netflix, I'll send her a thing saying, "You know, this just came out." Nope, saw it. I mean, she's like, "Oh, my daughters are livid with me because they came out with uh, World War II in in color," and I was like, "I gotta see this." <laughs> oh, yeah, no, and they're like, "Who are you?" Yeah, I, I thought you were cool, Dad, and I'm like, "This is in color." Like. You gotta, <laughs> I mean, we've only seen black and white. <laughs> I, remember, I remember when that came out. <laughs> but it's really, uh, it is, in, it's, in, it's incredible what, uh, they, they, what they, but it, this, uh, the Hitler thing is, I mean, being born and raised Jewish, you just, you, you watch so much, you already seen so much of it yeah. by the time, they, they've already, you know, by the time I'm 15, I'm kind of over Hitler. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's not, it isn't like, oh, Boy, those were good times. So you kind of <laughs> get over it and you move on. I just quick. watched a documentary on the Rothschilds. <laughs> I'm like, I, got, I have to measure my intelligence versus the knowledge I get given because I'm not smart enough to really process what things mean. I'm just, I said in an Instagram live today, I go, someone's like, do you read? And I was like, I should have never got reading glasses. I think God was telling me at a certain point, you're as smart as you need to be. Just stop. Stop right there. Use everything you just did. Do that for the rest of your life. Do not learn new stuff. Because I'm at the intelligence level where I definitely probably could have gotten swept up into storming the Capitol. I would have been like, what? She's in there? Let's get her. <laughs> but but, uh, but it's I find it fascinating because my dad was not brought up around art. It was sports. And that was so ingrained in so many men like men have changed so drastically different that your dad brought you up around art is so fucking fascinating what's well, well that was the thing it was the that was his thing and uh i mean and they were smart i mean my father was brilliant when it came to uh, theater i mean we we went and saw a play chris durang is a writer i don't know if you, uh, you'd love it. It, it his stuff's great he's very name? chris durang okay d-u-r-a-n-g and uh He's written some stuff that's just very, very funny. And uh, I happen to go, to, he was at theater school when I was there. He was a couple of years ahead, but he wrote uh, some just Sister Mary Ignatius and, and a couple of others that are just terrific. And uh, But he, we went and saw a play of his at uh, Arena Stage in Washington, my father and I, and we're sitting in the back and... Uh, the play ends and Wooly I mean, Bully. The, the, Wooly Bully. No. Is that the Wooly Bully is the fucking David Mamet play? Wooly uh, oh, Bully. what? No, no, yeah. No, was, Wooly Bully. Was, uh, 
Yeah, Willie Bully was the one that, that, that we right? were, I was trying to remember. Yeah, way back. Oh, yeah. I was okay. Sorry, I no, just was no like, problem. I'm I was going holy moly in my head. <laughs> yeah. So no, you were saying Durang. So so Durang and it, it wrote this play and and, uh, and my father were and I and of course I can't remember it because you said Willie Bully and as soon as the <laughs> word comes in my head everything is blocked for an hour and a half. So I'll call you next week, please. And, and get you the name, but he um he. We're sitting in the back. I go, but the first act ends. I said, what'd you think? He goes, it's, it's really good. He said, and then he went, and now he's, he's, he's stuck. I said, what do you mean? He said, second act's going to be exactly the same as the first act with just a little few. It's going to be the same. I said, what? Watch. I was like, and he wasn't arrogant about it. It was kind of like just, that's what's going to. And we came back for the second act, and it was the same act. Really? In in a lot, I mean, basically, yeah, but yeah, he yeah, nailed yeah, yeah. it. He, his criticism was dead on. God dang! Do you feel like there was any unrealized genius with your dad? Oh, there was. Well, there was. He realized it because he he. Um, I mean, this is a great story. I tell it a lot, but he uh, ends up. Um, he becomes this design. He does design. He designs sea mines. Sea mines. You know the. You've studied World War II yeah, and the, and the, with those spiky balls yeah. that they put in the water. For real? And, and so he des- that's what his design thing was. And he, uh, he basically, and he tried to get out of dealing with weapons, and, uh, but because, A, he was, I know, I know, it's not true, Lewis. Yes, it's true. He was, uh, he, he couldn't, at the time frame he was trying to get out of work, he, he was... Jewish, so there was a certain amount of anti-Semitism that was there. But also, he was. Um, they we were moving from a, a, a you know an economy that had like it was making all sorts of you know refrigerators and everything else, to ma- and we were just becoming a weapons maker. So they didn't want him at any of these companies because they you know they were all shifting over. I'm I'm st- I have to pause. I'm yeah. still shocked that people. Uh, question anti-Semitism. Yeah, I know. Uh, it, it really is b- profound to me. And, and I think sometimes people need to be aware of just the little encroachments that it has in our society that it always shows up. And I'm, I have, obviously, I think in stand-up, you just have such a plethora of Jewish friends yeah. that at least will keep you honest with what they're seeing. Yeah. Like Gary Goldman's one of my favorite human beings yeah. in, the, in the world. And Gary, my entire friendship with him for 25 years has always been very astute at pointing out Things that I wouldn't have picked up on that he picks up on. Yeah. And then once you once you see it, you can't unsee it. But I think there's so many people that they do that with black people. They go, what do you, there's no racism. And you're yeah. like, oh my God, it's so institutionalized <laughs> yeah, that you're out of your fucking mind if you don't see it. And like, it's it's insane to me, but I, I apologize. But so, oh, no, no. So the fact that your dad couldn't get a job designing refrigerators because he's Jewish makes total fucking sense yeah. to me. And people was, talked yeah. wild crazy until I was a child. I'm being serious, and this is hard for my daughters to understand, is that there are phrases phrases that were very casual my entire up to probably, we had a, we had a religion teacher, we had a guy named Andrew Wall, I'm saying his name because he did not get the credit he deserved at being the most patient Jewish person in the fucking world, he went to an all boys Catholic high school with us. And our teacher would point to him and go, Andrew's people killed our God. They killed Jesus. That's Andrew's fault. And this poor Andrew Wall just sat there like, cool, man. 
cool. I, I couldn't get into Tampa prep and now I got to deal with this shit. Yes. I mean, but it was, it was, I mean, it was like, it was, and that was casual. Yeah. And so, and, and I think it's hard for kids to realize how bad it was for in my generation, but for your dad's generation, Oof. it was outright. Yeah, it was outright, you know, and, uh, um, but what was funny was, is like, my, and this is really just my grandfather is, it was a jeweler. He's working his, the one he works closest with is a Catholic family. Yeah. So my grandfather makes the jewelry, they sell it. My father's best friend was it was Catholic. So there was, there's always been that connection. Yeah. It was, it was, you know, a Jew and a Catholic make a Protestant is what I used to think. You By know? the way, my favorite people to follow on Instagram are Jewish jewelers. My favorite, <laughs> I, I'm DMing with two of them right now, Moshe and, uh, and, and this other guy, Moses, I think. And I, you are kidding me. No, I'm not. I, well, it's really, I, I think you should open with it. I, <laughs> these guys are so good. I think, wow. They're my favorite. There's Maza. Maza or Mazel is a yeah is what they say when they close a deal yeah like Mazel yeah and uh, but it's <laughs> fucking they're so fun they work I'm gonna go visit their they sell Rolexes and they refurbish Rolexes in on like 44th Street and they work in like a huge mall yeah and people come in with Rolexes and they're trying to flip them and they're fucking so much fun to watch I watched this one guy's whole every video he's ever done and it's just it's fascinating because. It's it, it, I I'm obsessed with them. That is, I get funny. the sub. I'm curious. I'll ask you later. I want to. Yeah. I'm curious what you find online. But like, that's one of my favorite is Jewish jewelers right now. Jewish jewelers. Wow. Yeah. Wow. We well no. I'm having my grandfather being a jeweler. It's not something I would. But he's. <laughs> but it was always kind of fascinating. And then I ended up later on going down and uh, meeting the family and and spending because I was way young and. Yeah, uh, it was great, and they had this incredible relationship. And the, uh, 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 but my dad got he got screwed out of the, um, you know, he, he he couldn't get out of the out of it, and he stayed with it, and he stayed with it because he was doing it was a defensive weapon. So as far as he was concerned, fine, you know, you're protecting your harbor. This is yeah. fine. So we go into war with Vietnam. My mother. Uh, my mother says it's bullshit. She's, you know, women, women strike for peace. She's involved in, she's all right. She's any war from Jump Street. My father says, uh, you know, my father's arguing with her. And meanwhile, we're just watching Walter Cronkite in having massive arguments and uh, um, about it. And, you know, they are. And so my father says, no, we don't, we, you know, this is the, the reason we're there is because of the Geneva Accords and, uh, um, and you haven't read the Geneva Accords. I'm going to read the Geneva Accords. And it was based on this thing called the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution, which was based on the Geneva Accords. Yeah. And I'm sure you'll see the documentary soon. Now I know. I, know. I haven't gotten to Vietnam yet. <laughs> you will, you, you'll get there. I'm saving Korea for when I turn 55. <laughs> Pork Chop Hill, great movie, by the way. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and it is. So, is that about the Mormon who doesn't want to pick up guns? No, no. This is earlier. This oh, really? Is, yeah. Okay. This is, and it's in color. So you'll enjoy it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my father, uh, my father reads the Gulf, reads the thing, mm -hmm. and uh, reads the whole Geneva Accords because they keep pointing at this thing. Nobody read the nobody. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, read the media had to be so fucking. M m monoscopic at the time 
Because you just got Walter Cronkite. Cronkite. Walter Cronkite, Huntley Brinkley. We had better, we had solid people really delivering the the news, you know, and there was a trust factor which had been lost. Is this before, is this before they were advertising on, on news shows? No, they, I mean, uh, they were, they'd begun to, they were, yeah. uh, they were advertising. And, uh, and so my, my father reads the, reads this, it's like 56 pages. I mean, I looked at it, you sit there and you lose, you know, you read like two paragraphs, he is out of his fucking mind. And he finishes it and he said, there's absolutely no legitimate reason. There's no legal reason I read in here. This is bullshit. And, uh. We shouldn't be in, we shouldn't be in more there. This is, this is what we're doing is, as far as I'm concerned, immoral. So now my father backs. Uh, it, it gets on it. Then we in in during the uh, all of going through the war, we now mine Haiphong Harbor. It's a major moment in time. So we're mining them. We're using that weapon as an offensive weapon. Yeah. And my father makes the decision at that point. He's done. He won't. Really? He, he can't. He can't, in all good conscience, continue to do this if this is what they're going to use his weapons for. That is not what he got into this for, and he, in he's in his early sixties, and he goes. And I'm finishing college, so that we're there. They, but my brother's just in like his second year, but first year, second year, and um, he, um, so he's retiring. He says, I'm out of here. Really? So now he's leaving before he's going to get a full pension. Full pension. Um, he did have, they had great, he's got, had a great uh, med, you know, great health yeah. insurance. Has the same health insurance that uh, senators and uh, congressmen. For have. real? I, yeah, for real. Because oh, wow. sometimes, because I don't know if it's because he, during the war, I have no idea, but it was really remarkable. And so, but he, he says, I'm done. And they agree. My mother agrees, and then he goes to work. Um, to uh, he apprentices himself to a guy who makes stained glass, and then he starts making stained glass. And so, uh, and then he's making, and he's doing it for you know not for mo- you know for a little money here and there, but not yeah. a lot. And he's, my friends are giving him like one hundred and twenty-five dollars to make a comedy tragedy mask thing that's mass and i'm going i've got a victorian um uh a a mirror that he made which is this he all the outside and there's a mirror and and then this incredible stuff around it and so he did a ton of this he made five really huge pieces big pieces and he did it and then while he was doing that so he's in his 60s by the time he's hitting late 60s he's he starts to take uh, uh art lessons and then starts painting uh painting and paints and paints and paints and paints and paints until he's 83 so it was about you know i'd say it was 18 years of wow. painting it's you, pretty remarkable yeah, so it's all great genes yeah well it's they're wasted on me <laughs> <laughs> But it was really remarkable because it's the whole thing of you can't, you know, it was like uh, people to examples of people who sacrifice. I said, my, what my father did was, I mean, to have that role model is incredible. Yeah. Because uh, it's, it's, it's remarkable he did it and that he, and then he was doing, I believe, what he always wanted to do. I think he really, I mean, design and painting are not that 
really that far apart. Yeah. You know, and uh, and so he, um, uh, you know, he, and a lot of his stuff was, is almost design oriented. Uh, yeah. You know, it's like, uh, um, he, he called himself a hard edged abstractionist. And I still, and it wasn't until he, he would have these paintings that go, I don't know what the fuck he's doing. You know, they were like, holy fuck. And uh, I didn't quite get it. And he rarely did anything that you would see as a, a piece that was, wow, this is kind of yeah. uh, something recognized. He did the Twin Towers, or before, way before. <laughs> way, way. I mean, kind of. In, so I've got this painting in my room. Before they made them? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, that would be cool. <laughs> yeah, really. There was nothing there. and he, No, but he... He, had, he but that was kind of a record. I mean, there, he didn't do a lot of stuff that was recognizable. There was, a, I've got a, a painting of a, a kind of a house with a different colors, in, but it's still all very much about uh, uh, being abstract figures. And uh, and then he um, and he did one of he brought me down once, and he did a uh, painting that's uh, it's a Lico light, two Licos. One is on a set of ascending size breasts and then there's an and and then there's another light and on it and uh, Lico and it's ascending size asses so it's tits and ass and at the bottom it just says showbiz <laughs> I like, like that one that was a great one I bet it's a great painting where I mean, did you where did you go to college this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. A common misconception about relationships is that they have to be easy to be right. Sometimes the best ones happen when both people put in the work to make them great. Therapy can be a perfect place to work through the challenges you face in all your relationships, whether they be with friends, people you work with, or significant others, or anyone, or your daughters. Man, I've said this on podcasts numerous times. I did not parent well. I did not parent. I parented like my dad, and I had challenges with Georgia, mostly with Georgia, and I took those challenges to therapy. Uh, I'll be very candid about them. I thought raising your voice was how you parented. I didn't understand that I was creating a threshold with which she knew this is where you could go, and I was always going to take it there. So why wouldn't you lie, right? And then I realized if you reason with them and you empathize with them, and this is all stuff I learned in therapy. And by the way, Leanne was there the whole time. She was watching and she's like, I didn't know what to do. I had a therapist, someone on the outside looking in, telling me what to do. And it was so, it changed the relationship with my daughter. I'm telling you right now, if you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Become your soulmate. Whether you're looking for one or not, visit BetterHelp.com slash Burt today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Burt. Get in on the UFC 298 action with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. New customers who deposit $5 or more can get a no-sweat bet up to $1,000 back in a bonus bet. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code BERTCAST. New customers can get a no-sweat bet up to $1,000 if your first bet loses only on DraftKings Sportsbook. Use code BERTCAST. 
The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario, one no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash promos for deposit, wagering, and eligibility restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Where did you go to college? I went to UNC. I was really? in Maryland for a year and UNC for four What was college like at UNC? I feel like it would be good old boy. <clears throat> no, it was, tra- it was a great time to go there because it was transitioning from being good old boy to, like, so I get there, this is 67, and um, we get, we, I get there, and um, they've, they've got uh, the Kappa Alphas, I believe, the, or Kappa, yeah, K, KAs. They're, they have a, it's like Confederate Day, so they're, yeah. they're marching down. Robert E. Lee was a KA. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like I had a bunch of friends who were KAs. That is that right? It was, yeah, they. Robert they, E. that's perfect. Robert E. Lee was, the, I think, one of the founders. Well, that founders. explains it. Yeah. I did not know that. So they're marching down the street. Having said that, I have to say this. My friends were in the predominantly Cuban KA. (laughs) (laughs) They were all Cuban with a black dude in it. They, they, They dressed in Confederate outfits as Cubans, which I found so fucking hilarious. One of them, I think, worked with you. Uh, One of my buddies is like a huge producer in... New York, uh, Tony Hernandez, he runs Jack's Media. Yeah. He he was a KA. <laughs> He's the most Cuban dude. That's His dad crazy. played High Lie. Like, he, where were you in school? I went to Florida State. Wow. KAs at Florida State were all good old boys. <laughs> but these were all guys that went to the University of Florida. And they were all Ty Rodriguez, <laughs> Tony Hernandez. They were all Cuban kids wow. at KA. That's I mean, crazy. It was, it was right as things were changing. I, I was in... Florida State was still a very segregated town at that time. You had FAMU and you had Florida State. Yeah. And I think I felt the remnants of that a little bit. It was more north. I could get into the details of where, of racism in Florida and why it happened due to uh, soil temperaments. Because it was based on, it was, uh, but uh, that's, I did that on a podcast with Trick Daddy. It didn't go great. But, <laughs> but, uh, but, and so Florida was a tad bit I'm more glad progressive. I missed that one. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so it, that's one of the things you should never learn anything because all of a sudden I'm sitting with Trick Daddy going, well, slavery was really predominantly North Florida because the soil was more tobacco and cotton and South Florida was more cattle. So they didn't have a use for slavery. And Trick Daddy's like, cool. <laughs> Are you telling me there wasn't slavery? I was like, never mind, never mind. <laughs> but, but yeah, so you were saying K U N C. So, was so they the were marching down the street, right? And uh, they're they're rolling along, and uh, they're they're on. This is Confederate Day. They're uh, and they're out, and they're about. They have like five or six of them are on horses. They have their own little parade, and uh, they're all dressed in Confederate uniforms and i literally i'm it it was as close as i've been to a stroke i mean i was like are you my eyes are going back in my head are you fucking it was so beyond my comprehension that people would do this and uh and they did it and then that was within uh within a day and a half of that happening 
the 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 backlash and the protests was so strong. It was like, nope, that's gone. Bye. And so yeah. a lot of the stuff that had been a part of the whole that was all. It was kissing goodbye, really? goodbye, goodbye. Because it was a fairly. It was always kind of a fairly. I know there'll be people going. Well, really, yeah. Well, really, it was. And especially in North Carolina in the fifties too, when it was it was considered like a commie school. It was it was fairly there was a, a fair amount of liberal uh, down there. There was yeah. you know in terms of in terms of the overall general. I think all college campuses at that time started polarizing themselves from the society or from this town they were in because it it. I mean, I, I I can only imagine, but that's I and mean, that's when art really takes into college campuses and yeah. music and drugs. And, and I think all of them were like that. Yeah. Let me kill that. Uh, no. Yeah. Does that, can you hear no, that? No, I can't hear it. Yeah, Cause I just don't want, um, it sounds and, like my genitals are on fire. <laughs> <laughs> cling, cling. Cause I've had them. I've had chips put in. That's oh, good. <laughs> yeah. You can do that as you get older. I'll tell you about it. <laughs> I, could, I could use them. <laughs> Just something to alert them. So, so they, you know, so it was all changing when I was there. I mean, we had, it was, the school was on kind of like, uh, you know, that we're not doing this, we're going to do that. We're not doing this, we're going to do that. There was a, I got there, there was a strike. The uh, the food workers struck because their pay was like, uh, you, you know, are you shitting me pay? You know, it was really, you know, they we're worried about, you know, you can't even get people up to 15 bucks an hour, which is ludicrous now. And there it was like, it was, you know, is somebody kidding? And so they struck, we all went out and uh, backed them up. And then within two weeks, boom, they're back. They're, they're back in, they got their raise. I mean, it was just, it was like that constantly for the four years I was. How do you feel like, how do you feel being a part of that first generation of, of change to where you see where college campuses are now where I don't know if it's the same, but it's the same energy. I feel like the kids want to be a part of something big. And sometimes they're, they're, I mean, I go both ways. I have a daughter in college, so I understand. I hear her and I understand her feelings about what she would deem as hate speech or people saying anti-trans stuff or not using pronouns. But how do you feel when you see where kids are today to where you were when it was really, I don't mean to say it's not really happening, but, when you were there and it was changing and there was probably pushback, but it was from the wrong side of history easily now. Yeah. Well, it was, I mean, it was, you know, the, 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 uh, it, it would have been nice if along the way they had told us what the rest of our lives would be like, <laughs> that what's going to happen is you're going to do this. And then a lot of you are going to get married and then you're going to wake up and you're going to be 60 and go, what the fuck happened? <laughs> I mean, that was really the lesson. I mean, the lesson yeah. was we, you know, it really, it was great to be a part of that. I mean, it's incredible to be a part of something that you're up where you're a part of it. Yeah. You know, where you believe in what you're, you know, there's, we shouldn't have been in that war and we shouldn't have been no. doing that. And it, it was the same thing when I watched. And so what you learned was, is, so we go into, uh, so, that, you know, uh, we, we get 9-11 takes place. My brain immediately goes, they're going to use this fucking thing as an excuse to go batshit, just the same way they use the, the Chinese thing coming in, you know, that the communists are going to take over the whole, you know, the, all of Asia. Now we're going to deal with this. And sure enough, you know, the next thing I know, we're in Iraq. I'm going, 
if you idiots, you fucking in the, the same generation, my generation, fucking, you know, Cheney, my age, yeah. fucking leading them into this. You know, you've already watched this scenario, you fucking idiots. Yeah. Now we're going to do it again. And that was the thing. It was I, I think what I'm, is, is that we were at 50, you know, back, you know, we, it, when I went to school, you know, it was like. 55%, 60% of us might have been feeling that. And then by the time we got old, within 10 years, it's like we're at 50-50. I think that, uh, you know, I don't know where we're at now, but it was literally, uh, you know, those people had, you know, basically Cheney, had, they, you know, had made, they made their moves. They'd taken their places within that. And, uh, and I don't know where they, I don't know enough. And I've been trying to get down that when the pandemic started, I was trying to do uh, to work down at Chapel Hill. They've taken everything I've written down there, so I've, all the books, all the plays, really? everything, and they put them in the library. and And I was supposed to start, you know, kids were supposed to come in and use these primary sources and and learn, you know, basically take a look at what I was doing, and then we I would meet with them. And but that went the way of the pandemic, and yeah. I'm hoping to do it again, you know, shortly. And and I because I just don't really know what's going on there. You know, I do know that that you know, as I was watching this morning, that uh, you know, uh, Harvard and Pennsylvania, the U of Pennsylvania, and I forget what other school that brought in those idiot, the the uh, the folks in charge of the schools in terms of uh, to, in front of Congress, and you know, uh, you know, how oh. come you're not dealing with anti-Semitism? Oh, I saw that. It was appalling. It's uh, that that was a. I saw the one Jewish kid getting surrounded by the Palestinian kids, and they were almost like assaulting him yeah. it looked like and then they said to him you have an opportunity to say you stand against anti-semitism and i couldn't understand why she didn't just say yeah i do yeah she was like well well that and uh and the other one with um genocide you know what do you think you know and she said well you know depending and, and the woman went there's no depending yeah depending on what schmuck What's the? How I, do you not stand against genocide? <laughs> I mean, I couldn't. I couldn't wrap my head around. I stay out of all of that online because I watch. So do I. I watch people. I'm not doing it. Is and that, it's also there's <laughs> not enough. Uh, here's the problem with the online. If you're gonna have an argument about that shit, don't fucking. That's how big it is. Okay. Yeah. That's how much shit is coming out when you read something on Twitter or the rest of it. And it's that big, and that is not enough to have a fucking argument about it. Yeah. Or that, you know, our kids learning uh, their history from TikTok. I don't fucking know if they're learning it or not, but you shouldn't be learning your history from TikTok. That's pretty easy. Huh? Son of a bitch. How dumb is that? I'm going to I'm gonna look at TikTok and, and learn about uh, Palestine and Israel. Yeah. Of what planet could you be circling? <laughs> so that's part of my problem with the kids at this point. Because that, but I don't know if that's true because I'm watching TV and there's some old fart telling me that's what the kids are doing. Really? <laughs> so can you bring a kid on to show me what he's watching on TikTok? You fuck. They don't even show you. They just tell you. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I, I I I stay totally away from all of that because I'm just like. And you people, like, I, there was a period that I, I, I don't know, I was, whatever I was talking about on podcasts is what I was watching online. And in my comments, this is like right around probably Biden, 
uh, I don't. This is right during the Trump thing, and it was like state your politics. Like that's all anyone wanted. State your politics. And I was like, I don't. My dad, my dad was my dad's a lawyer, and he was very uh, much a, uh, a contrarian to whatever I said. So anytime I had any opinion, my dad would take the opposite side and prove me wrong. He loved it. Yeah. He still does it. He still does it. Even. Even when I started diet, which my dad is obsessed with my weight, he'll immediately go, hold on. Why can't you have pasta? And I'll be like, God damn. Like, he just loves. So in, in, a, in a weird way, in my rearing, and my dad did two things really well. He, he created a person who always questions whatever, everything. Mm -hmm. I question everything. And I question my opinion consistently. And the one thing my dad did beautifully, and I don't know if he did it on purpose or not, at a very young age, he told me I loved pressure. He's like, you excel when all the chips are on the table. When the bases are loaded, there's two outs, and the count is full. That's when you raise the occasion. I don't know if it's true or not, but because he gave me that mentality, I end up loving pressure. I love it. I thrive in it, and I think it's just conditioning. And I wish that I had done that to my daughters. I didn't. I just... I did the other bad stuff my dad did. <laughs> but, you know, but you can't, honey. You know, oh. that's a that's a heck of a thing. You know, it, it, true. I mean, it's it's tough to say. And then your kids go, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. You I don't, I, my, my kids. I don't need to respond to pressure, you idiot. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to wait till the chips are down. I might, I, I actually might do it on Tuesday. Why can't I do it on the first show? <laughs> yeah. Why does it have to be the fourth show? Yeah. I want to have a good set off the four shows. Yeah. Why do I have to dig myself into a hole? <laughs> that is funny. God. And then what did you, did, would you start writing plays at UNC? I started writing, yeah, I started writing, well, it, it uh, yeah, and I went in there thinking I was going to, I knew I wanted to try theater, but I was doing every, I was taking all, any other course that would get me the fuck out of it, because there was nobody around, I didn't know anybody yeah. who was doing this, and uh, and so I started writing, when I, I said, you know, I'll try playwriting, because I wasn't really much of an actor, um, I'd had a bit of experience at school with it, but not. I kind of knew, you know, it was like I had to play myself. I knew when, when I did the acting, it was me. Yeah. Um, and then uh, and then I got there and I and I found that I could um, I, I started to, to 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 take playwriting courses there. And that was and that was it. And then I've just and then, of course, somebody comes along and says, well, there was a guy named Robert Anderson. He wrote a play called I Never Sang for My Father. Look it up. I don't have time. <laughs> and um, which was a fairly kind of important play at the time. He was not, he wasn't a uh, Arthur Miller. He wasn't like a, a Tennessee Williams, but he was in that tier of the second tier that was coming up. Yeah. And, um, and it's a very good play. And he had come to school there and I gave him a play of mine to read. And I said, you know, tell me what you think. And he said, you know, he said, I would keep doing it. You're, you, you've got a, you've got a talent for it. And so I did. And then you moved to New York? Uh, no. I didn't want to move to New York at all. I, really? No, I thought, no, because it was like, I went up there with uh, this, uh, first of all, I just went up there and it was like, I'd been at Chapel Hill and we'd, I'd had a really, a play that was hugely successful. Um, and uh, I got, uh, and I, and I had, uh, I, it was, I, had, I was at a fellowship down there. Uh, I'd, 
I'd written a, a musical that was uh, my senior year that uh, with a friend of mine, and that was the first play ever done. And it was the opening of a theater in at GW, yeah. and they opened the theater with this play. Really, and then also to my father's credit, here's another one about my dad. So I get a re- we get a review in the Washington Post by the major reviewer, basically dismissing us in the play, and uh, and and rightfully so. You know, it wasn't it was it was it, 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 you know. And my father called him up and said, "Listen, you prick, <laughs> you don't you don't pound these kids who were aspiring to do this you didn't you, nothing about that review is going to help them yeah all you were you were just mean and insufferable <laughs> yeah it was like pretty remarkable to have your father to bend you so uh so we did i did that and that got me a fellowship to stay on at chapel hill and write and i wrote this thing that became basically became it was a massive hit and really? uh, for the for the area and it we, it was all about being in school and at that time, and uh, and we took that show, and then we ended up getting a, a grant from the Arts Council to tour it through a bunch of colleges. And, oh, wow. And so that kind of was like, and I was getting, and I knew at the fucking time, here's a fuck, I'm, I'm sitting there where there's, 15, 1,200 people are, are watching this thing at UNC, uh, University of North Carolina, Greensboro. And the play ends, and and it happened every night. 1,200 people stand up there. Every night there was a standing ovation, but this was the largest crowd I've seen. And they all stood up, and I turned to my friend and I said, this, it's never going to get any better than this. This is it. (laughs) And I'm going to try to replicate this? I said, what the fuck am I thinking? (laughs) He said, this should be when I get the fuck out of this. Yeah. I did it, and now let's find something else to do because we've done it. And... Um, and it was really, uh, that was, uh, you know, so I, 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 and we then bought a theater out in, uh, we, the group of us who were working together on this didn't really want to, I felt that, um, everything that I was reading seemed to be that there'd be a decentralization of the arts, which is now what's happened. Yeah. But I, I, because I'm such a seer <laughs> and can see the future, I was so fucking wrong. I'd read all this stuff. There was all these things about how it was going to happen. It didn't even come fucking close. <laughs> so we, I'm, I'm wandering out. We'd get a theater in Colorado, which also would be the last place on earth this would occur. It hasn't happened in Colorado. You know, Chicago, Atlantis, all the other places. Yeah, Colorado had one. Denver had a theater, and we had a theater in Colorado Springs. And we bought this. But then we just couldn't, you know, get it to float. We did all sorts of great stuff while I was there. Yeah. And, and, and did productions. And I wrote, like, a children's play. And we did a play in the park. And it was great. The, those, I mean, I've only been a part of one play. But the process of making a play is so fucking fun. Yeah. I is. mean, being with, and then being with creative people. Because those, those are the real, those are like the bricklayers of creativity. Like, they're the fun fucking no holds barred almost like i was in it with a bunch of dudes but the and a couple women helped with it but the sexual energy like everything's really free yeah no it's 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 and it's also like i've always felt this about it it, that people get into theater because it replicates a family so you you go in and you get really i mean it creates this it jacks up the emotional thing you've got you got to really commit to each other the emotional thing gets really high yeah. um 
your commitment to each other is really high and it's uh, very much like a, a, a close-knit family and then it's over. And, that w- and what makes it a great family, a better family than your family or any family is it's, it's finite. So it's like, okay, this has been great. Bye. Yeah. I could really love you a lot. Do I want to love you next Thursday? No, because we, <laughs> we already had the cast party. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you remain friends. I mean, you kind of, and you still remain. I mean, there are people I know in theater, and, and it's the same with comedy. There are people yeah. that I know, uh, I will be their friends forever. It's like family. They really are. I mean, some of my close friends, all of I've got a, a bunch of close friends who all come out of theater. Yeah. You know? It's, uh, that's what I loved about my first TV show. I didn't realize how good I had it. And one of the grips came up to me and he goes, you know, it's never going to get better than this. I said, when he goes, this is your first little nuclear family and you're going to have memories of this for the rest of your life. And it's your first thing you've ever done. You're 26. He was like, man, you're going to look back at this and really miss it one day. And I looked back to just, I, I, I'm bad with math. I was making $5,000 a week and I thought I was a millionaire. Of course. Cause I didn't, I didn't do the math. I was just like, that's gotta be a million dollars. And I, and I was having fun. I bought a new car and, and it was just everything you wanted it to be. And I think I've always been chasing that in every production I've ever done is creating this nuclear family of like, and I, and I, I, I did it on low levels, like travel channel and stuff, but still you travel with this group of people for 10 days straight yeah, for 12 times a year. And you're having 120 days with these people that were you just nonstop. Well, could you sell my show to the Travel Channel, those fucks? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know what they're doing, unless it has a ghost in it. <laughs> they're fucking. Boy, is that ever true? Oh, man. That fucking, that, that company had such potential, but it just was one of those. That was a brand that I don't think they saw. And their kids doing it better now. Their kids yeah. online doing travel vlogs that are so much more interesting yeah. and 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 rich that you're like, well, I mean, I'm watching. I follow people that travel around the world on sailboats, and um, and you could never create that content while making jewelry. Yeah, while making jewelry, <laughs> she makes dresses. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that's the. That's what I love about this business is that finite family that you get. Well, you you know we did the. The show out in Vegas that you did fully loaded. That's oh, that's what that is. Oh, it it entirely is. I'm, yeah. I'm I'm simply chasing that one thing on all my on on everything I've created is is to I love I love connecting and I love hanging and I love I mean I love my favorite part of comics is just being around funny people. Yeah, it's my it's my favorite thing and sharing them with my daughters and getting them to see funny people is like, oh, the coolest thing was like Leanne grabbing the girls when you went up on stage and they're like, you need to watch this. And they're like, wait, who is he? And we're like, just, you need to watch this. And then I was like, wait, I know his voice. I'm like, I think that's from the, he does voiceover from, he's angry. <laughs> and she's like, oh, that's him? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's. But, uh, so when, when did, what? how did the transition into stand, because it's funny, I think a lot of people don't know about your past history as a playwright and, and just know you as a stand-up. Yeah. And think of you as this George Carlin-esque stand-up that it owned, owned, owned things that, I mean, your rants are legendary. And, but when, how, how did that, like, what comic did you meet first who was like, you gotta get on stage or? I 
started um, doing uh, stand-up when I was 19, 20. It really? But it was really uh, 21. I, I had finished, my play had been done, I, it, and uh, I had this summer in, uh, in Chapel Hill. And I had a, a friend of mine had a band. And there was a place called Cat's Cradle, which still exists there. Yeah. And uh, and they had uh, and it was um, and and they would mainly do f- f- you know music and stuff. There was nobody doing stand up. And I had friends who would listen to all these. I had all these stories that I was would tell. Yeah. Tell that's you know you know the thing. Yeah. Tell that. Yeah. Tell that. And uh, so I would tell it. And then they this band my my friends in the band said you know you should come in and do stand up in between. And, I, and it was perfect. And this is when people always say, what, what advice do you have for a new stand-up? And so besides do it, do it again, do it again. And do it again is if the first time you do it, you invite as many fucking friends as you have and you load the room because no matter, you know, unless you're lucky, yeah. Um, it, you know, even, then, you're, even then it's going to be hell. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you might as well, you want people there you're going to drink with and you're going to have a good time with and who are going to be supportive of you. Yeah. And then and then you decide if you want to come back or not. So I went in and did it because I knew everybody. I knew everybody in the room. It was like, I'm going to do this. Everybody knew. And I, and it, the level of terror that I brought to that stage was just <laughs> staggering. I mean, uh, I have a recording that still sits there that... Uh, that in which it, there's a minute, this and I think it's the it was the second gig, and there was a f- literally a full minute where I don't, I say, um, <laughs> uh, so, I mean it's a minute of me trying to start, yeah, uh, and uh, it was, I just didn't get over it, and the and the thing that saved me the first time was is I had a, a this cocker spaniel. And uh, he could see that I was dying. He could really see the death. And and as a dog will do, he came to rescue me. He's and a legit rescue dog. Was, truly. So he comes on stage to so that kind of the audience. Whoa. whoa, whoa. And, and uh, he, uh, I grab him and uh, I said, and I said, I got something to show you. So, because I got nothing left, okay. Yeah. I've, I've, I've told the story that I is funny, but I've destroyed it, right? <laughs> because I'm a wreck. Yeah, you know, you can't. They can't see fear. It's the last thing they want to see is because they. That's what they they would go up there. Yeah. So, so, so I grab my dog and I put him up like this, and and my and I used to do this thing where I showed that this I went this is how a dog masturbates himself and I just took his little paws and played with his dick for a while and they exploded and I put the dog down and said thank you thank you very much we'll be back next week actually just the dog will be back next week and I thought wow you know and probably that should have led me to become a prop comic but <laughs> so I did it and then I went back and I went back three or four times and it, it never got much better it a little bit better <laughs> yeah. i was a little more comfortable um and and what was weird was is that after <coughs> the shows we were doing on when we would do a play i would talk to the audience afterwards nothing no problem at all nothing yeah but but that thing of making folks laugh mm-hmm. just as it was a thing in my head 
and I'd watched a ton of comics. And I was always fascinated, as much as I was fascinated by theater, I was fascinated by uh by by stand-ups and, and what they were doing, I just who, was, who were you watching at the time? Everybody. I mean, I was, it was Ed Sullivan was the hook. So, okay. I mean, you can go back if, for anybody out there. It's it's worth watching the seven minutes. Is I mean, there were people nobody heard of yeah. that I certainly didn't know. But it was Jackie Byrne and Jackie Mason. Um, it was one after the other that were you know one. There was always somebody there. They were always doing seven minutes and. Uh, so I was watching everybody, Bob Newhart, then uh, Shelley Berman, and uh, I, um, and I, and, and Nichols and May. My parents had that album, and uh, and I was just kind of fascinated, mm-hmm. you know, that the, the guys, you know, the person, you know, Phyllis Diller, the, she, she's just standing there, you know, and Bob she's, Newhart was so fucking good, man. No. I mean, I think people sleep on him. Dimitri Martin was very pivotal in my in my early comedy days because he was the one that introduced me to being a fan of stand-up. Like, I didn't understand. I knew that I liked it. Yeah. But I didn't know how rich the art was. And Dimitri would go to the Museum of Television History and he would watch old stand-ups. And I remember watching Bob Newhart going like, knowing Newhart, the show, yeah, and and knowing uh, the one where he ha- owned the hotel with his wife. Which is crazy, which is not nearly... It was good, yeah. it was, but it was still good. It was still the good. The first one was great, and the second oh. one is good. I mean, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. But that those, and, and I, I would think Newhart, Newhart was that generation that kind of changed stand-up. Newhart, Woody Allen, like they kind of changed. Shelley Berman, the three albums, those were the albums. And also Lenny Bruce had albums. Oh, yeah, Lenny Bruce was. I, Lenny, I, I discovered Lenny Bruce in when I moved to New York, and I did, I lived, I just, watched the documentary where he just read his court papers yeah and i was like this isn't funny yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, i guess i gotta get arrested huh the uh but what was you you were watching those and just fucking i mean i was just kind of like you know this is funny and this is great and whenever anybody and then the you know and then plus the smother brothers come on oh. you know i'm still a kid when that when for all intents and purposes they come on they've got a whole bunch of stuff that just makes me and they're bringing on plus their writers are phenomenal i'm sitting there going well but i'm not but i don't think i can do it i'm just but but i do so i start but i kind of since i don't want to be a stand-up yeah i didn't care about getting up there and doing it because i wasn't carrying it wasn't like as hard as it was and it was hard uh you know, I, I, because there was a, there's a personal level when they don't laugh, it's because mm-hmm. you don't like, you know, they don't like me. Um, but it, it, it bounced a little off me because I was like, well, fuck it. I don't give a shit. I'm not going to do this. I'm, I'm going to make a million dollars right and play. If you fucking, <laughs> are you kidding me? So <laughs> I'm going to show you, I know how to type. Yeah. And, uh, we, it, it was really, uh, I, so I, I, I left, I came out of school, I went, and then we, we had this theater, and uh, I, I did improv with the group, and we did, I did gigs, they had a, I could make money going to these, uh, they had these little coffee houses at Fort Carson, they were, uh, and where the, the soldiers would gather, and, because they were testing the volunteer army, 
there. So it, it, for me, it was a great time because they they brought in every every everyone that they didn't think could would stay in the army to see how they could make people <laughs> stay. Best audience ever. Phenomenal. Because they didn't because they were all stoned. And so I would go in and it's do like my, it's like the cast of stripes. Yeah, it is. It's exactly what it was. Uh, and I'm in there and they're like, this is great, you know. And I'd come in and just talk for 50 minutes. And I'd have some notes and stuff. And, yeah. But it didn't. And it was a way to make 50 bucks, which was real money then. Yeah. And uh, and so I kind of would do that. And I did it. And, but I still wasn't, you know, I didn't really get, I had no feedback. No, there are no other comics around. Yeah, it's just but you. It was just me doing it. And my other friends were not interested in it. And then I got to... Uh, Washington after we we bellied up after a year and I we I moved to the, back to DC and uh and the uh or actually it was bef- before I even went out to uh Colorado that's I had uh, I'd moved I'd gone to DC to make money to work with out there and uh and there was a place called the Brooks Keller and they were looking for a comic and I had at that point I had my uh, the stuff that I'd done at the uh, at, uh, when I first went is you know the, the first stories yeah so I had like I had like fifteen minutes of, of sex stories twenty minutes <laughs> of my like, sex sounds life. like my act now <laughs> <laughs> it was my sex life and I always thought it was funny and then uh, and then I had a kind of fifteen minutes of stuff but not really and then I had nothing. And I had to do three shows a night and I, every other week. And and there was nobody doing stand-up in Washington. There was no clubs. And they yeah. they wanted somebody to work in between folk singers. Look them up. So uh, I was doing folks, you know, I was working with these folk singers. And then there was another guy, Ron Moranian, and he was doing, uh, he would work the weeks that I was, the two of us would work alternate weeks. Holy shit, folk singers! That that must have been good crowds too. They were good. It's it's, it's it's that it's people wanting. It's- but, but I was terrible. <laughs> I mean, really, the first would go, and but they never let. And I was just kind of waiting to see if they'd fire me. And then afterwards, there was a friend of mine who was um, working with bands down there, and he was way talented. But he also was kind of like <laughs> flipping out about. You know, I'm going to do this. Really, yeah. they're going to pay me to be a drummer. So we would just get hammered afterwards. <laughs> We'd be like, "We suck. We really suck." We were getting away with murder. We didn't, you know, we kind of didn't enjoy. We enjoyed what we had, kind of, but not. We just didn't feel like we were really ready to be able. I was not going to yeah. do it, and he wasn't sure. And so we would, but it was really. Uh, and that was, and I kept doing it on and off. God, that's fascinating. On and off. And and I'd go on stage with papers because I didn't care. I didn't give a shit. Because what are you going to do? I'm yeah. not, and I did a lot of shows, um, especially when I got to New York and when I was at drama school, I would, you know, they were, they had a cabaret there. I would go in and I, when they didn't have somebody to work, they would have me come in and I'd get six shows. Wow. You know, and then I might bring somebody in to do a little something else, but mostly I'd get up on stage and just. <laughs> Did you ever tether with the the stand up scene that started blossoming, like the sign? I guess now he must have been the '80s, yeah. But no. like, never. The only time I, I when I finally, uh, the folks, Rick Newman, a catch, 
a, mm-hmm. a, yeah. a rising star, came, saw me working at this place that we had in New York, and I started to do, I introed every show. So all of a sudden, I started to get an idea of how to do it because the way in which really you kind of learn, a lot of people learn is, is you start as a, uh, you're the um, host, you know, you're the MC. So I was emceeing all these shows. So I became much more comfortable on stage. And then I had all these jokes that were kind of about, uh, you know, about theater and the fact that, like, the jokes were like, you know, if, uh, if you could, you know, if you could tell me, uh, if anybody here knows, because we'd have like 20 people in the audience and we were trying to build a crowd. And I'd say, if anybody knows anybody on the New York Times that I should blow, I will blow them. <laughs> Whatever it takes, I'm going to blow them. Yeah. Or if you could, there was a thing that came out in the post about a severed head found in a basement. <laughs> and uh, I, a severed head found, I forget, it was topless. Something was headless, topless, some shit. But, yeah. but it, I thought, fuck. And so for like three weeks, all I did was this joke about if you, somebody could get me a head <laughs> so I could put it down here. And I said, uh, head found in uh, cabaret in New York City, they also do one-act plays. (laughs) So that was the bike kind of advertise. But it was really... And then I became more and more comfortable. We started doing shows. We did a midnight show on Saturdays. And I didn't care because I was... I was writing plays and we were doing these shows and it was great. Those are the most frustrating guys in comedy. The ones that don't care. Dr. Ken. Ken Jung was a doctor. He was a doctor. And he would go and host and fucking murder. And you'd be like, hey, why don't you do this for, he's like, I'm a doctor. I'm going to be a doctor. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm curing people from disease. I, I have a calling in life. And we're like, you're better than all of us. And it's, I think majority of it was he really did not give a fuck. You don't give a fuck. And so I got, what happened was, is it, I, what I really did was, like, I became skillful at I mean, I really... And I would go on stage and I just, all I did all week was uh, rip things out of the newspaper that I wanted to talk about. It's got to be so frustrating to the other comics who are, because as a young comic, you're, you're following what works, what, you know, like what everyone else is doing. And so there's people mimicking what they see other comics doing and you're doing your own, which is so explains your journey, but you're doing your own thing that you find funny, which is technically what alternative comedy became. Yeah. And you're doing it way before traditional comedy is even established and alternative comedy is even thought of. Janine Garofalo's fucking 10 at this time. Yeah. And and, and, and it's also, that was right from the beginning. It's, it's, there's comedy, okay? It's, there's no alternative to comedy. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Steve Martin putting an arrow on his head, that's alternative comedy, you fucks. Yeah. And it's funnier. It's I've, I've always said, I think I said it more as an adult now, but because I was there at the beginning of that alternative versus yeah, traditional were, yeah. comedy. But like now I look back and I go, oh, no, it's just people that make you laugh. It's just people that make like Janine Garofalo is one of my heroes. And I and I, I, I everything she does, everything she does. And I would argue when she is when she feels like she bombed the most. Those are my favorite sets <laughs> where I go. Are you fucking serious? Like that's. Everything I wish I had those references in my head that you casually drop, but like you're right, it's just whatever's funny. Yeah, and it, and 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 I think you tether you can disconnect all those <laughs> things that are funny from the things that just genuinely aren't funny, and those are what 
I think they were pitting what was traditional comics, people emulating the hackiness that they saw and just going, ah, hooker, stripper, yeah. you know, like, and you're like, oh, my dick. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. So then, so I get exactly what occurs is, is that uh, um, uh, Rick Newman says, come down to catch. Cause I, cause I stopped, I went, I tried to do the clubs early on. Okay. And I found that it was a, I just did. I'm not going to stand in line. I'm at that point. I'm. I have my own room, so yeah. I'm going to stand. I'm going to go stand in line. Yeah. And uh, and partly because I'd been doing it for ten years, and it was like, no, this is not. You want me to audition in the afternoon? I'll audition. Now don't tell me I got to stand in the first five uh. to get it. And, yeah, it was like fuck you. So I wasn't going to do it. And I got in to uh, you know, like this story. I got in to catch. Before this, I'd arrived in New York. This is so, about four years before I'm, uh, three years before I have the theater, and and with my friends and um, and I go uh, and I bring, and I'm broke. I am fuck broke, and I bring three of my friends with me. So now, and that costs. So it's a cover and two drinks, and I'm paying for my friends because yeah. they're actors. They got no money. <laughs> And there are 15 people in the room or 20, 30, maybe 30, 40. And, uh, and I had to, you know, do my seven minutes or whatever the fuck it was, seven to 10 or seven. And uh, I'm, I'm like fifth. That was, and, uh, and I do it and I, and I did really well. And, uh, and I finished up and I said, uh, who, you know, my, when my friends had left, who do I talk to uh, about the, about the audition. And they said, uh, there's nobody to talk to. I said, what do you mean there's nobody? There was nobody was here to see what we were doing? No. You're going to have to come back again next week. I, and stand online? Yeah. Because you really have to, you know, you have to hang out here. And uh, I said, I just came in here and I, I did a set and the set was pretty good. And I literally, I t picked up a chair and I said, and I threw it across the room. <laughs> and I said, could, could somebody find somebody I can, because this was the guy who was the MC, and I can't remember. It, it, it may have been, no, I can't remember. It, 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 and, I, and he went, what are you doing? I said, I need to talk to somebody, picked up another chair, <laughs> in case you missed my message, who, who can tell me really what it is I got to do, because I ain't fucking coming back. <laughs> and I threw another chair. And then he said, you have to stop that. And I said, yeah, I, I know I do. Because I'm not coming, but I don't really have to because I'm not coming back. And I threw another chair and I walked out. I never walked back in. Really? I never walked back in until Rick Newman asked me to. And I said, uh, I said, here's, I'm going to tell you this story. This is what happened there. And I said, so if I'm going there, I don't want any bullshit. I don't want any nonsense. I don't give a fuck. I said, you saw me here. I'm very happy here. I said, and, but I would love to, to be able to see if I can do that. Yeah. But, and so I went and it was, and I got hooked. It was, that kind of was the beginning of the real hook of it, which was Kevin Meany, uh, Mario Cantone. Oh, wow. Dennis Leary and me. And the, Holy shit. And, and Rosie O'Donnell was the open, was the MC, which uh, I will ask God about when I see him. <laughs> How did that happen? It's the <laughs> career... Lewis is, is, she's very nice, but I don't get it. Um, not as a comedian. She was a better, a good actress. Yeah. 
course. So um, um, it, it, it really good in the league of her own, which I saw again. But 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 it was the but that those I'm not being sexist. They, those four, I mean, the range from Dennis to me oh, yeah. to uh, Mario to Kevin, uh, and wow, it was just great. I mean, and I learned. And what happened was, is I walked in, and this is where you learn. So I walk in. Now I got material. Now, I, and I've never. So now I got to figure out how to make this material work. Yeah. Um, in outside of my room, mm-hmm. you know, how do you? What's what's? And I'm watching, and Leary is up there. He's doing his smoking bit. Yeah. You know, the big one, the, the cancer one. And I'm, and I go, and that's my first three minutes. And I go, well, you know what? That's gone. That ain't happening again. That's bullshit. What? Look, you're. Not, I'm not going to top that. Yeah, gone. So, and uh, and that was how I learned. And so I went boom. You know, he's. There's no need to try to. No need to do it again. No need yeah. to go anywhere and do it. Um, and uh, and I got all of that. I learned all this shit watching all of those guys. You know, Kevin and Mary. I mean the. The, where Kevin would go out, Mario was, you know, where they would go to the edge. And oh, yeah. Was, Mario Cantone, I think, do, he doesn't get the the proper uh, props or the flowers that he deserves. Yeah. Because he was, I remember watching him at the Boston Comedy Club one night come in and fuck around. And it was just mesmerizing. It was unbelievable. Mesmerizing. And, and really great. I mean, he, I would finish sometimes and... Uh, and um, he would, uh, and he wouldn't get. He, he would not have an introduction, and I would finish up yelling and sc- literally yelling and screaming. And it was about Reagan mostly a lot at that time, and others. But there was other stuff. But I'm screaming, and I would finish, and he'd be at the back of the room, and then he, as Tina Turner, would start singing. What's love got to do with it? <laughs> it was. It was still one of the. Five funniest things I've ever seen in my life. Whether following me or not, but the fact that he yeah. was following me with it was just brilliant. <laughs> Dude, and Kevin Meany. Oh, Kevin Meany. Uh, there's so many, you know, it's, it's. I think with the amount of stand-up I've seen in my life live, that when you see some of these comics, and, I, and this is not an old man shading young comics, but when you see some comics performing... So many of them are afraid to get off that path that's working that you forget there were people creating their own path. Today, Kevin, but when Kevin Meany was doing what he was doing, no one was like that. And it was and it was unfollowable. I mean, he was just fucking incredible. He did. Uh, come on in. Oh. How you doing? Wow. I thought it was another act. <laughs> I thought, wow. You, Thank you, brother. Thank, Thank you. you. And I wonder if that dog can open for me tonight. <laughs> See if you can jerk him off. <laughs> Shout out to our favorite sponsor, True Classic, for making us fellas look good no matter how we move. Valentine's Day date? No problem. Dress for success with True Classic button-ups, and chino pants that stretch to make you look good. All their shirts are made to accentuate the places that the eye goes first. Tighter in the arms and chest, but leaves 
the perfect amount of room in your midsection. The best part is that True Classic sells premium products at an affordable price. You can get their best-selling T-shirts, hoodies, jeans, and more in three, six, and nine packs. I'm telling you, these True Classic shirts fit so good around your arms. Everyone tells me my arms look jacked, and they are not jacked. And everyone tells me I'm losing weight. I have lost weight, but I am still pretty fat. But with a True Classic shirt on, I look I look lean. It hangs perfectly over my gut. So if you're ready to upgrade your closet, shop now with my exclusive link at trueclassic.com slash birdcast and save up to 25% off your first order. That's trueclassic.com slash birdcast to save up to 25% off your first order. No matter how you move, make 2024 your most comfortable year yet with True Classic. But Kevin, I mean, people should, you know, it's not tough. You go to... uh, YouTube, Kevin Meany, we yeah. are the world, okay? It's, like, unbelievable. So now I'm there. Now I've known Kevin six months or eight months have been working, you know, and they have. Yeah. And now I know the score and I get it, you know, and tonight they're coming in to see, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're coming in to look at Kevin for Uncle Buck. So he's got his, it's essentially, you know, you're doing, a, he's doing time, yeah. all of the fuckers from where, whatever chance, CBS or NBC. They all show up, and uh, he goes on stage, and I, and it would drive me nuts when those guys were in the room because I mean I'd been through it a, a couple of times. I was not, you, you know, it's like uh, yeah. we can make real money. <laughs> you make money doing this, <laughs> and he, but he, he gets up and kill, 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 and he's got three minutes, and then he does "We Are the World," and it's the I mean I'd seen him do it 10, 15, 20 times. And now it's like unbelievable. I mean, all of a sudden, it is the best he's ever been. And I'm like, good God. That's just, I mean, it's in front of them, you know, he had really, you know, that's the thing. It's not only learning the chops, it's being able to bring the chops when yeah. when somebody expects you to show them. And he he finishes and he has destroyed, utterly destroyed. The room has gone berserk. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I mean, I have seen that occur maybe five times in my life where it was just like uh, somebody had blown, a, you know, basically thrown a bomb in the room. Yeah. So, <laughs> they, and then they just go, and ladies and gentlemen, Lewis Black. <laughs> so this, and this is one of my, I feel like one of my great stage moments. I come on stage. They're all still kind of talking and stuff. And I said, look, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to, Go over here, sit down. And what you're going to do um, is going to talk about uh, the genius that you just saw. Because <laughs> that's what you're talking about. And you should talk about it. Because you're rarely going to see anything like that. Um, that was just unbelievable. And I'm not going to fucking try to top that. Because I can't. <laughs> Got it? So when you seem to be getting a little bored... I'll come back on stage. So how do you like that? And I sat down for five minutes till they, till I got the room back. You have to. Oh, that's fucking great. You have to, and you got to give props. Yeah. Oh. And that's what I learned from theater. Oh, More yeah. than I learned it from stand-up. You know, of like, you can take the moment. Give him the moment. He just, yeah. you know, it's, you know it's, it's, that's what you do. God. That's fucking crazy. And how long were you? How long were you in the trenches before you feel like you popped? Well, the the good news was that what what helped me 
pop a little was the fact that uh, I had become a, um, uh, a, a, I was kind of, um, I, I, I'd become a headliner quickly. Mm-hmm. So I was only a, a middle act about a third of the time. That yeah. was on the upside. Maybe less, even a quarter of the time. I mostly was headlining. But then again, nobody knew who the fuck I was. And my agent was not a great agent. At the, You know, it was good and mm-hmm. really solid and a sweetheart. But it, I wasn't getting out enough and, and stuff. But uh, but I was, it, it grew. And, um, and I would say, by... 96, 97. So it was about 10 years. It was it took about 10 years. Wow. And that's ten, That's a different 10 years than these kids are doing now. Yeah. that's. I mean, I mean that respectfully, but like I hear comics doing stand-up 10 years. 10 years then was like legit 10 years every night, five shows a night. Yeah. Fucking. Well, I mean, I was doing that thing <laughs> that, you know, I was, it was great because you could, you know, I was working weekends in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if I didn't, if I didn't work on the road, the great thing was is by not working on the road, I had, I worked in New York on weekends, and I would do catch, and then I go from catch to, to Dangerfields. I go from Dangerfields to Stand Up New York, and then I'd go from there back to catch. I mean, and then down to the cop cellar. You know, I could do six shows, and it was all about yeah. how many how many shows could I do? Yeah. you know, and make make enough to for the for the weekend, and uh, and it was also. Did you ever play Dangerfields? I think never played Dangerfields. I was when I moved to New York is when Catch closed. That's where yeah. I met David Tell the right. night that Catch closed. Wow! I sat next to David Tell. Uh, there was a comic, um, fucking uh, uh, Kevin Brennan. Oh my, yeah, my my he's uncle. Funny. He's he's uh, he was a brilliant comedian. He uh, my uncle had gone to high school with him. And so my uncle said, if you need one connection, I can help you with Kevin Brennan. And in typical Kevin Brennan fashion, (laughs) I said, hey, my name's Bert. I'm Dave Hobson's uncle or cousin, nephew. And I would love any advice I could get about getting into stand-up or anything you could tell me. And he goes, oh, I'll take care of you. Sit down next to this guy. He'll tell you everything he needs to know. And he sat me next to a tell. And I said, hi, I'm Bert. If there's anything... And he goes, they're closing this club. Get out now. <laughs> he goes, quit now. I said, really? He goes, it gets worse. It gets way worse. You never, it's never going to get good. And I was like, oh, shit. I just got here. And then I had, uh, yeah, that was my, David Tell was like one of the first people I met. And then Jim Norton was oh, the Norton. first person to, ever, person to ever compliment me on a joke. Like the first time you ever get like a, hey, that's good, man. You should do this. And I was like. Oh my god! Like he's treating me like a real comic, and uh, but that whole your that that whole time when I moved there in '97 was like was so different. I mean, it was so fucking different because you really did have this group of like Lower East Side comics that were putting on their own shows, doing their own thing, like Stella and and this the guy. Well, it is the guys from the state, but bigger yeah. Janine and Mark and and. So many of them doing stuff. And then Mark would teeter-totter and go back to, like, the cellar. and But he would do, like, these Luna and, and different shows. And I was eating it up. I fucking, everything I saw was, like, I mean, 
really, I don't think I've ever been that curious about life to this day where I just was devouring every and any content. I started reading books. I've never been a book reader, but I was like, I sat next to Janine Garofalo at a bar and she had referenced, uh, what's that Dust Bowl book? Uh, um, the, uh, about the Dust Bowl fucking, it's the, yeah, Steinbeck, yeah. Uh, Grapes of Wrath. Grapes of Wrath. <clears throat> she referenced Grapes of Wrath and I was like, huh? Uh, she referenced the unlike, unlike, uh, unbearable lightness of being, being in, in conversation that I'm just listening to. And I didn't know, I didn't know what they were. And I, you didn't have Google on your phone then. So I didn't know what they were. I knew there were books. And so I went to the Barnes and Noble on Astro Place and I ended up getting a job there. And I was like, I'll work here and I'm going to read everything that I hear people talk about. And I'm not a good reader. I'm dyslexic and I'm taking That's forever brutal. to read a fucking book. That's brutal. I still have a hard time reading out loud. <laughs> and, but I read all these books and then, and then, and then I was like, I would, as I read them, I was like, how come I, they're not connecting the way they do with Janine? Like, why am I not finding moments where I feel like fucking uh, Edward Holden or whatever the guy from Catcher, Catcher in the Rye is? Like, how come I'm not, I'm not just reading them and I go, that's a cool dude, but it's not me. And it was really, it was really interesting. It was that, that period of my life. And that's when I first saw you, first saw Tell, first saw Hedberg, first saw Norton. I mean, Jim Norton, Jim Norton is to this day such a, talented fucking guy yeah I, I, one of my favorite stories is that you were on the 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 bang bus the, yeah the, or the yeah, stripper the bus teenage the teenage <laughs> oh i like that because that's part of like your story that i don't know i only know you as the guy from like theaters specials the daily show like that was my whole frame of reference and then when I heard, like, you did Opie and Anthony, I was like, shut the fuck up. Where are those episodes? <laughs> yeah, no, that was fun. Because I would go after Anthony and I had. Oh, yeah. I it can... was psychotic. Really? He would scream at each other. Just scream. <laughs> you are out of your mind. You are so out of your mind. <laughs> well, you know, no. We would just go tooth and nail. Yeah. And then shake. And it was great because we, yeah. didn't, we didn't really uh, take him personally at all. We just loved the. We both wanted to fight, yeah. to argue, and we did. It was it was really incredible, and I because he'd, you know, I'd be talking to Opie, and then all of a sudden he'd pipe him. I said, "What is the matter with you? <laughs> what is possibly the matter with you, Anthony?" It was, but it was great, and that that Boyer bus was phenomenal. The teenage Boyer bus. What was that? What they you guys had for anyone who doesn't know? This is this is. The this is the seed that almost gets them kicked off the air, because yeah. because they started doing these epic stunts, and they had you and Jim on a glass bus with strippers. Yeah, with a, it was teenage. Uh, the it, it was teenage. Apparently, it was teenage girls. It was eighteen and over, yeah. and uh, they um, it was this bus that was going around the country, and the the whole idea behind the bus was is we're gonna. We're going to go around and be be topless, and this is to to show our defense of the you know the First Amendment. <laughs> really, <laughs> this is how I'm defending the First Amendment yeah. is is by these girls exposing themselves. Well, that's an interesting look. It you know I mean seriously, I was like. I said it would be like uh, I, I, I used to have a joke about it. It'd be like yelling, uh, you know, uh, 
You know, it's like, you know, it'd be like running around on the bus and yelling fire inside the bus. I mean, what are you talking about? We're, we're, we're going to get, we're going to end up with the first amendment defendant. So we, we, it was me and him. There was, uh, one of the producers, uh, and, uh who came along with us and, and I grabbed a friend of mine who uh, ran the, the Mark Taper theater out in uh, Los Angeles for the past 10 years. His yeah. friend of mine, Michael Ritchie, he gets on the bus. And now we're all on the bus. And, uh, and we just go through town. And it was extraordinary because they it was Christmas. <laughs> so it's like now. Yeah. It's about now. And we drive through. Because they asked, do you want to get on the bus? And I was like, why would I want to sit here with you idiots? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to be, this is going to be great. Yeah. And, uh, and we get on it and we're going through the town and, and we're whipping. I mean, it's not a problem and they've got, they've got us moving and it's exceptional. And we, uh, and the, and the, and people are laughing and it's, nobody seems offended. None of that yeah. at all. Old ladies are looking up and laughing. Uh, there were like four girls on the bus and and they're all as men are ogling them outside. They're saying, "What an asshole! What a shithead!" It was yeah. like phenomenal. I just like the whole thing. And we we were uh, we got to the literally a, we dropped my friend Michael Ritchie off, so that saved his ass. Yeah. Two blocks before we're literally a block from the studio, and they pull us over and arrest us for uh, for you know disruption. And uh, whatever they wanted to call it, because uh, Rudy Giuliani was going to, was the mayor at the yeah. time. So I never, that was it for me and him. That was, that, and so, you know, oh boy, <laughs> look, look at what an asshole he is. Yeah, well, he was an asshole. <laughs> you know, he's taking us into, you know, because A, it's not against the law to yeah. be topless in New York for a woman. So the whole thing was stupid. And what they were trying to do, really in the end, was to have us turn on the cops because they were taking us into a room, and they sent in the what do you pull of the when they have the the cop the, in, the internal affairs. Yeah, they show up to talk to us. And oh, did man. any of these police? What is that? You kidding me? I said, you know what the police did? They got us through the city, and you're lucky they listened to the show because they didn't have to do that. And what they did was a favor to the city, and it was a favor to do it, and nobody was upset. So go bother somebody else because I'm not – they didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, and, that, is, and you guys getting arrested made it even such a bigger event that it was like epic, epic, fucking epic. And then the St. Pat's happened stuff, and then who I, who I forget who, they, who was the comic. I won't say his name. I know it. I remember Paul Michael Mercurio. Yes. He – was like, oh, get arrested, that's the thing. Yeah. And then he got arrested and that fucked everything. Yeah, it did. I think it was better. I mean I mean, look, every 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 path you take is the right path, but I loved that they went to Sirius XM. I loved them on Sirius XM. I was a diehard fucking fan of that show. Well, I it, was, loved- it was really it was great for a long time and it was and it was fun and we ended up uh it was just to sit with Jim Norton turns to uh, the, we have like the captain of the police force or the the, the captain of the, the place that we're, they're holding us at. And he, Jim says, I'll never forget, he goes, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, I know we're going to go, they're going to put us in the tombs and, and all that, but not a fun place where you walk down and it says, uh, be sure and watch your hands uh, as much as possible. Uh, you, you could get 
tuberculosis here. I mean, it was like, okay, that's <laughs> that's me. really a good, that's terrific. Where, oh what, what jail was this? The Tombs, it's called. It's, oh, my God. It's where you go before, and then they go to there, and then if you really, or if they find you guilty, then they send you to Rikers. So I'm, I'm sitting there with Jim, and Jim's going, so we're going to, he's going, well, you know, at least, you know, in the, it, it's Lewis and I, and, you know, we'll, you know, we'll be able to have each other's back. <laughs> and this guy looked at Jim Norton. He said, what? He said, well, you know, no, no. You, you, they will, no, you, they will take you, if you think you're, you know, protecting his back, they will take you off his back and throw you across. No, don't think about how you're going to really help each other out. Just be quiet and stay as far away. We'll have each other's back. <laughs> It was like me and Jim, <laughs> two less, and we and we'd become fairly, you know, you know, friends. We'd become fairly good friends because we'd done the um, a, uh, a this film together where we played, uh, you know, this uh, comedy duo, and uh, it was um, it was you know like a uh, it was really so we had already kind what, of what, I think I saw and that. I can't think of the name of it. It was what was it? Huh? Side, side, splitters. side splitters, side splitters. Yeah, Adam Dubin directed it, and uh, it was uh, and and Jim and I play like this uh, uh, Abbott and Costello thing, and it was and there's a couple of it's the first time I, I don't generally laugh out loud myself. <laughs> yeah, but Norton and I together doing a, kind of a rendition of Who's on First in another in a dirty fashion was just. Makes me laugh every time I see it. And he and I become, so we, you know, but we yeah. were in there for 24 hours. I, 24 it, hours in the tombs? Yeah. What was it like? Horrible. Really? I, we went, they put us, at least they took us away from the general population and uh, and gave us the Al Sharpton suite, as they called it. And that was where Sharpton generally was put. And so we had our own a private cell, but it was like four of four of us in there. Now my brain is going, but when we were, the cops had gotten us. I went, what if these girls are not 18 with them? What the, f I could be, Yeah, I could, this could be, like, this could be bad. This could be really bad. And, oh. uh, and luckily they were all, and we, they threw it out. And, and if you go to the daily show, I did a thing on the daily show about it. Yeah. The day I came out of, or the night I came out of, uh, because uh, we just made it out before we would have been in for the whole weekend. Oh, and that would shit. have been horrifying. And uh, so we just got out in the nick of time, and they, the Daily Show had sent some people down to film me. And I had called everybody to try to get out. Really? Every chit every that I had, every <laughs> card that I could throw, nothing. You know, he, and the reason that they busted us was because they said we were on the route that uh, Bill Clinton was coming on. Really? So, <laughs> so Mr. Blowjob. Is, he would have loved that route. Yeah, I know. That's right up his alley. <laughs> you know, so that was unbelievable. Oh, man, that's fucking wild. That's crazy. That that I remember that, but I didn't know about the tombs. That would be fucking terrifying. It was terrifying. And it was also hard. And it was also you kind of going, so your brain, if you got a brain, is going, you know, if... Why would anybody, after you get caught for something, want to come back here? Yeah. I'm in there for three hours. They give you a bologna sandwich. Everything about it is hard. A bologna sandwich with just 
uh, you know, some mustard on it and, and bad white bread. I was just, oh, the whole God. thing was, and I can still visualize it in my head. That's crazy. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. Now, what you're, are you really doing your last tour? Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. What's, what, like, what's, how, how long is the tour going to be? It goes, I am going to basically uh, end up, uh, if all goes the way it should, December, January of next, you know, next year. I've got a year left. And then uh, you, how are, how hard are you pushing this tour? Are you going to be like out for like Wednesday to Sunday? Or are you doing weekends? I'm going to do, depending on what I've got. I mean, it, the, the next round is uh, starting in January and we, we go to, to the end of April and it's, it's pretty solid for uh, through it, you know, three, four shows in a week. And when you say last tour, does that mean like we will never see you in theaters again? Oh, you'll, no, I'm going to, but I'm not going to tour. You're not going to go out. I'm, you know, you're going to call me and say, I'd like to give you $75,000 to <laughs> join us on stage. And I will go, let me talk to my. <laughs> I will definitely say that. No, no. <laughs> Uh, but I will, um, I will do shows from time to time. You yeah. Know, if there's something strikes me, uh, and I've got that rant cast I do the book, and yeah. I'd like to do uh, that occasionally. So I, I mean, like uh, what I would like to do is like be in in a place, and if if you were available, they'd get four people to read the rants, oh, so that I yeah. would do a rant and then hand it to other, and we'd do like an hour and fifteen minutes of rants. Oh yeah, that's you know? great. And then and then let you guys comment on the on what you're reading, and the same way that I do, and uh, and that's really what. And I'm going to write, and I want to uh, uh, I want to write, and then I'm going to try to pitch this travel show, which just uh, as I keep saying, you know, I want to pitch it so that they can say no, so I'll feel like I'm in the business. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. Uh... I can't imagine, like I, I had a moment when I was 44 where I was in a car driving back from radio. I'd been drinking on radio and I saw this dude smoking a cigarette outside his convenience store. I'm in the car with the manager of the club and he just goes, so how much longer do you think you can do this? And I was like, I never really put like a timeline on it. Yeah. And I just never thought, I've never, I've still have never thought about a life after stand-up. And, but I, like, I keep thinking, I was talking to my dad. My dad is, my dad is seven, just turned 76. And he said, I don't want to retire. Cause I don't know. He goes, I don't know. He goes, I still like it, but like, I wish I could just cut it back. I feel like that sounds like what you're doing. You got one last real push it tour, which is going to be so fucking fun Yeah, because that is the, that's the, that's the, the dessert. That's the one where you go, oh, no more bus stops. No more truck stops. Fuck, it's snowing shit. We're stuck in the snow. Like, like those are the almost the fun parts. When you're in the thick of it, you can't really appreciate as much. Yeah. But one last big fucking tour. Do you know who you're bringing with you? Are you bringing like your favorite people with you? It's just me and the opener. <laughs> Am I supposed to bring people? I do. I know you do. I, I I know, you're desperate for affection. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That's why I like you. Oh. I can say that. There's not a lot of people I can say that to who just keep laughing as opposed to, and then laugh. Oh, I am desperate for affection. <laughs> I am desperate. My wife thinks I'm like one of our dogs because if she touches me, I lean into it. <laughs>
Oh, <laughs> uh, I want. I so badly. I so badly want to uh, do one of your plays off Broadway. Like if you have a play about a dude who drinks too much, like a, I go. I was saying today. I was like, I, I was talking to my wife, and she's like, so I always do that before an interview, and she's like, she goes. You know what we need to do? See if Lewis has got a good play for you. Let's put it off Broadway. Let's do a play. Let's do one. Let's do one run in the winter in New York. We'll move to New York. Girls are going to college. We'll move to New York and we'll run a play. Lewis will direct it and then you can star in it. That would be great. That's what I want to do. And I was like, fuck yeah, that would be awesome. But then I I would, I'm sure I would drive you fucking through the wall. No, I'd get you. I wouldn't direct it. <laughs> Kidding me? No, but I have people who would. It'd be great. There's a play that I'd hand you that's 30 minutes long that you would. Oh, that's in my that's in my memorization like, zone. Yeah. Well, it is. But you'd go nuts over it. It's, yeah. It reads as if I wrote it. It's 40 years old, and it reads like I wrote it really? yesterday. It's about two guys. It's called The Deal. It's the best thing I've ever written by far. And it's two guys who are making a deal. And the building is... In a, in, a, in a building that's so high, birds suffocate at that height. Um, and uh, it's, they're just in a room. There's, you know, there's no set. There's, you're just sitting in chairs at the coffee table. And they are, they're making a deal. You never know what the deal's about. Really? You never know. They're just, and they're one-upping each other. And me and Tom would be great. As soon as you said that, that's our podcast, me one-upping him. Yeah. And then, uh, and one of the guys, uh, like, the guy uh, has uh, one guy's got a set of balls that he got from a that he purchased from some kid, and uh, they're gigantic. And the other guy's got uh, he goes, "That's nothing." He said, "Mine are gold plated." So it's stuff where it's just sick. Oh, that would and be fucking it, great. Yeah, we should it, do that. And it ends with uh, the the. You know, what's really great about spoiler alert, that nobody's going to ever pay attention to this except you. <laughs> so the two guys, you and Tom, you, the, the thing ends with them making the deal and they're grabbing each other's balls, screaming, it's a deal, it's a deal. <laughs> and we did it two years ago, and it was my, Mark Lynn Baker, who's a close friend, and a guy named Joe Grafazzi, who if you saw, you would know, who's done 100 films. And the two of them did it, and it was literally like I wrote it yesterday really yeah and you i can get it to you. it's on the bus oh for real yeah oh i'm in uh yeah yeah yeah, I'll, yeah I, that would I'll be fun the, as I'll fucking shit that you would know. be fun as fucking shit yeah god well i'm gonna let you get out of here thank you for spending the time with me are you kidding thank I, you I, the, this Lewis. was great well i mean i'm wanted to you know it's, it's nice since i'm met you out there this oh is really a i we we do uh you know, when we do Fully Loaded, we set up all the comics that we know that I that party and we have fun with and that are, you know, we get them for two weeks. And then we always go through and we do like a dream, like a wish list of my heroes, like who I want to work with, yeah. like who I want to watch. I want the girls to watch. I want to, I, I just want to sometimes meet like you. And when we got you, I got so fucking excited. It made my <laughs> Vegas trip. And I was, uh, and I, it was like, I spent the whole time backstage just like kept going over to you, like, hey, is everything okay? Is everything, everything a good time? <laughs> I was having a great time. <laughs> and I, and I, it's such a joy to sit down and talk with you. I am such a fan. I'm such a fan. I've been a, since the day I started stand up in New York, and I, I went to the Daily Show with Dimitri, and I watched you on that show. I've been blown away. Everything you do is fuck. Like I said, it's popcorn worthy. It's like really sit back 
and enjoy it. And I'm, 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 I'm just very grateful to, to know you. Well, thank you. Well, that's very kind. Thank well, you. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, and also you should get, I'm going to just tell you just to, pl- but get to the national comedy center. Uh, oh, that's right. We talked about that. Segura is, go- is playing there. Comedy. Oh, for real? Yeah. He's going to play there coming up the spring. I'm, I was trying to get, you, I'm just, I, I basically, I don't know if they did it, but I'm trying to get you to go up there to to oh, do the to do it yeah. to work up there because I would uh, love that. But you'll love this. I mean, look, I watched the tour. I mean, I'm, I talk about the, your need for affection, but you have a, a, a feeling about comedy that is huge. And uh, this place, you will you'll go nuts because we have never anyone I've brought there. There's no oh you maybe should have. It's or they'll say. Can you get this guy's stuff, or can you get her stuff, or what do you plan? Yeah, it's extraordinary, and it's oh. all interact. It's seventy-five, eighty percent interactive. Oh, I got to do it. Yeah, you'll go nuts. I, I mean, can't wait. I, I, I help them, and uh, and I'm really proud of being involved with them for so long. And they, but I, I, I they, they, this is what we're setting out to do. And then I went to see what they were doing, and then I finally really spent time like i saw what they initially did and after what they initially did they they took it up 10 notches really it's just and then plus all around you'll love this is um it's where lucia ball was raised so all of they've got all the lucy stuff so there's a whole kind of like what the studio a replication of the studio they worked in the history of how they went from this to desi lu to da 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 everything oh that shit fascinates yeah. me Oh, I'm in. Okay, I'm in. I'm gonna make sure it happens. Yeah, and if and if you ever go there, let me know, and I'll I'll come on up. Okay, done deal. Done deal. All right. Thank you. Thank you. This episode was brought to you by The Machine.